Hello, and welcome to ROE 17 Pod. My name is Molly Allen, and I am the Assistant Regional Superintendent of Schools for ROE 17. Today on the pod, our guest is Dr. Jeff Spencer. Jeff is a science instructional coach for ROE 17 with experience teaching at the college and high school levels. Through his work at ROE 17, Jeff partners with school districts and K-12 teachers to design, adapt, and support classroom practices that align with the next generation science standards. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to have you here today because I think my first question is really, what is a science instructional coach? I think that's probably something that not a lot of people have personal experience with. So what does that mean? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. As I've been stepping into this role, I feel like my conceptualization of what this looks like has shifted drastically, right? Mm -hmm. Where when I came in and started working with you, Molly, like I felt like I would be more in in the classroom, working Mm -hmm. with teachers in classroom-based practices. And then as I've started like thinking about problems that uh, that affect instructional change in classrooms, it's so much greater than that, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the teacher is in an ecosystem of administrators, of resources, of, of, of districts, that there needs to be a lot of structural support in order to help instructional practices shift in classrooms. And so at this point, I've begun conceptualizing my role more of a, like that of a systems engineer, mm-hmm. that if you would like science instructional practices to change in your school or in your classroom, what are the structures around that classroom we can build to help support that change on a sustained level? Instead of just coming in, doing a one and done professional learning, going into a couple classrooms and then leaving, because research shows that that isn't how change actually occurs in classrooms. That's great, and that actually leads to my next question, which is um, how has science education, you know, I mentioned in the update or the intro rather, the next generation science standards. So how has science education really changed in the past 10 years? How, you know, my own experience was we did vocabulary Mm -hmm. and did, you know, read the textbook and then we did some experiments and got, had a test. Is that still what's happening or what does science education look like now? So I think that's a really interesting question. It's also evocative and controversial, Mm -hmm. right? Because you look at what the researchers and what the research shows of what's actually happening in classrooms nationwide, not just in our region, is that the bulk majority of science classrooms are not in alignment with the next generation science standards. The vision has changed, right? Mm -hmm. And like, since we were in the classroom, yes, I do have fond memories of memorizing a bunch of vocabulary and doing a bunch of Mm -hmm. trivia that we called science but they had very little experience of what actual science was, right? And I actually didn't step into that until I went to college and started doing actual research. And I'm like, wait, I've been preparing for all of these tests with singular answers. And I step into a research lab and I I get to be creative. Mm -hmm. There's open-ended questioning that goes on. And then I even think about like my four-year-old at home, right? And the fact that he is, the way that he experiences the world is scientific. He's Mm -hmm. going around, he's, asking questions about what's going on. He's having many experiments actually happening. And I'm like, something happens in the schooling process where the actual science and the that joy of learning just gets lost. And in a lot of ways, a, a lot of teachers teach the way that they teach because there hasn't been much professional learning surrounding how to actually shift what the structures look like. So the vision of the next generation science standards is how do we get students into the driver's seat of actually conducting science in the classrooms, mm-hmm. right? That's a very difficult vision to realize. Mm-hmm. And when I was a teacher in Colorado, um, I, I focused, and, and a lot of the, this change is, is centered around this idea of the science and engineering practices. Mm-hmm. They split, like before when we learned, it was all about content, like learn mm-hmm. specific, like 
parts of the cell, what are the parts of the atom, and, and knowing those specific things. Whereas the next generation science standards want students to engage in the practices of science, asking questions, defining problems, develop, planning and carrying out experiments, de uh, developing and using models, right? In an NGS aligned classroom, the students would be the ones planning out and carrying out the investigation. As a chemistry teacher, I felt very uncomfortable with that, especially with where I taught, because that, that meant giving students power and agency. Mm -hmm. That meant trusting that the students had the skills and scaffolding and background to actually be able to like to conduct their own experiment. And to be honest, systematically, they haven't had the chances to have that agency in the classroom before. So it's not like giving them a bunch of chemicals and saying, go and make soap, right. peace out, <laughs> see you later. It's more of this idea of like, how do I build scaffolds to eventually structure them so that they can be more aligned with that vision? So it start off with a small experiment where they have a couple of choices they get to make mm -hmm. and then helping coach them through it to eventually plan out their own experiments by the end of the year. And so realizing that and realizing what the research says, I think a lot of the problem with this the lack of tra uh, transfer into research to practice mm -hmm. is nothing to do with the teachers or even the districts, is that there's been a lack of infrastructure systematically. Mm -hmm. That you know, we've, we, we've pitched this vision of what science should look like, but we've built no ways for teachers to onboard and no su support structures to actually onboard them as well, which is why people like me around the country are necessary to help teachers build the support structures needed to make these changes that the standards are actually calling for. That's exciting. Education does change really quickly, and we keep putting a lot of expectations on teachers. And so to have some additional support and even access to those resources, I think, is is really important. You know, it is really popular, and we hear a lot of terms, you know, STEM, STEAM, all of that. What do you think the biggest misconception about science education and that shift to STEM is, and how, how should we be addressing that? I think that students start forming science identities at really, really young ages. And I see students in early elementary saying that they're not science people. Mm -hmm. And they don't engage in science activities, but then they go home or in the outside world and they engage scientifically every day. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest misconceptions in my mind is that the way that we teach science and the way that science happens in the real world are actually two drastically different things. Mm -hmm. And in order to change that, we need to start bringing everyday science of what, how the students are experiencing the world into the classroom. We need to start bridging these divides. What's happening in the fields around your community? What's happening? What type of life is forming in, in the alleyways of, of, of your neighborhood, mm -hmm. right? And start bridging those gaps to help students realize that, hey, science is actually something that I can do. Mm -hmm. In my research, I do a lot of work with indigenous people up in Alaska. And it's fascinating to me that I can see students who are being trained as Traditional herbologists, people who go in the community and actually collect herbs, right, and, and mm -hmm. they, they give medicine to people, yet they go into a biology classroom and they feel like they can't, they, they're not science people, they can't engage with it, they don't know how to engage with it. It blows my mind because they, they are thinking very scientifically and helping their community, but they can't transfer that into their actual school. Or another example would be like my, my brother-in-law who the combine can be blowing up in the field. He really struggled with graduating high school. But when the combine was blowing up in the field, he can fix it with a craftsman wrench and, and duct tape. We just don't affirm that type of knowledge mm -hmm. in schools. And we need to start doing that. 
And I think that's one of the greatest misconceptions of science is that it's happening everywhere, and we need to make sure that we affirm that within the students because yeah. they have those strengths when they come into our classroom. That's true, and I think sometimes we do think of it, you know, you have to be an actual engineer or scientist working in a very formal lab or setting, and yet, like you said, we've got it happening in kitchens and farms and all over, and yeah. that opens the doors for a lot of our kids. And and speaking of that, you know, I'm a parent, and I probably am one of those that didn't think of myself as a science person necessarily in school, and now trying to help my own children see those opportunities. So what do you think families and parents can do to help integrate science into their home to make it to make it so that their kids can see themselves as scientists. Right. I think we relegate science as into these STEM activities that we mm-hmm. purchase or little kits and things like that. I think one of the greatest things that you can do as a parent is just get your kids outside, mm-hmm. bring them to an open space, a forest, and walk around and just ask them to observe, ask questions, mm-hmm. and then affirm those questions, even if and like and wonder with them, mm-hmm. right? Because oftentimes the way that we got taught science, it's a bunch of facts, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, 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 if your kid is saying something that might not necessarily be right, don't just say, oh, that isn't right. Here's the right answer. Ask them questions. Why do you think that? What's leading you that way? Have them begin thinking and wondering about the world and then maybe creating hypotheses in that way. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Another thing is that when students, when students and, I guess, kids are playing and they're, they're asking questions or they have an idea, and it might be far-fetched. You might be like, oh, that's not how it works. The, the simple move of just saying, say more, tell me more, instead of saying, oh, this is, a, this is the fact. That move helps engage students and kids, your own children, in this idea that they have everything they need to be able to make sense of the world around them. And it engages them in that sense-making process. Mm-hmm. And I think if more parents did that, I think if more teachers did that, we would have a lot more scientifically literate population, a a, a population that is more comfortable with the practices as a whole because they see their ways of knowing, their their ways of understanding the world around them being affirmed. That's great. And I think we recently had a conversation with a math teacher, and it was kind of a similar conversation in the sense of dealing with you know, you want to model that same kind of inquiry. And, you know, even if you weren't comfortable with math and science in school, mm-hmm. you can, you know, wonder yourself or seek answers and not just say, oh, I'm not good at science or I'm not good at math, but help kids kind of see that, you know, it is. And that shift, I think, from content to skills. Yeah, I grew up with you can't have a calculator. And now we all have very powerful calculators in our phones. Yeah. So, Well, it's been really exciting to have you both on the podcast and in our region. And thank you for being here today to talk about the world of science in our community. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of ROE 17 Pod. To learn more about ROE 17, please visit www.roe17.org or follow us on our social media channels. ROE 17 Pod is produced and edited by Victoria Padilla. We hope that you join us for our next episode.